This is another MP3 podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle, Australia. Graham, I was looking in the paper here yesterday. This was very interesting. New South Wales pet breeders uh, will soon have to meet strict animal welfare standards to ensure cats and dogs receive appropriate food, care and shelter. Now, I haven't uh, received anything directly about these laws, so I'm just going on what I've seen in the paper. And understandably, there are uh, prevention of cruelty to animal laws. There have, there's a code of conduct for pet shops, but I think what this is targeting is people who are actually uh, breeding animals and then selling them from their house of residence or so on. And um, so this actually comes into effect today, uh, Friday, and... Um, you can receive written information from the Department of Primary Industries around uh, about the new code of practice, stating that animals must be physically and mentally fit, healthy and disease-free before they can be intentionally mated, and also restricting the number of litters per year. So I'll try and see if we can get some more information about these specific terms for next week. But um, th- there's also a punitive side, of course, that breeders who do not abide by the new rules could be fined up to $2,750. So we're trying to say, you know, the government's obviously putting in place some measures to try and address problems associated with uh, breeders. And um, I hesitate to use the term backyard breeders because obviously there's a whole group of people who are very, very good uh, and have a great deal of care for their pets and also breed them, whether they're registered or not. But uh, there are situations where pets are just left to their own devices and... Um, Rabbits being rabbits, they'll do what they do. So you end up with more rabbits, dogs and cats running around. So this is intentional breeding or unintentional or both? Well, I think we'd have to say the result specifies. So if you end up with a litter, that doesn't matter how you get there. You're, you're termed a breeder. You're, that's right. That's right. And I do, um, I, in my own practice and over the years in working, I've been seen scenarios where animals have bred and people are often caught unawares of what's happened but you know to be fair you you do get it's not like nine months fair enough but you get nine weeks uh with dogs and cats that you are probably suspicious and certainly a month or so towards the end when they start to get quite large and i i would like to see people being more aware of what the process of uh, their labor process and that yeah dogs sometimes need cesareans and sometimes it doesn't go so well and uh, I'd also caution that you're not going to make any money off um, breeding pets. I know plenty of breeders, and really it's their desire to improve the breed that they do it. It's not, it's not a financial incentive um, because things can happen. And um, my father, for instance, he had bred uh, boxes before, and I know one litter he did very well. Everyone was happy and all the pets came out, and he, he said to me, oh, that all went quite smoothly, and the next time he didn't go so well, had a caesarean, all the pups were dead. He was very lucky to keep the the dog alive. Um, And, you know, that's just what happens sometimes. So these laws are obviously designed to try and improve the lot of the dogs and cats out there. Mm -hmm. Mm. So in a nutshell, what's the law? Well, that uh, they have to meet strict animal welfare standards. So it, it sort of makes common sense, and I think a lot of laws are like that. It's just writing common sense into it. Um, that animals have to be physically fit, healthy and disease-free, and also that the number of litters is being restricted. So uh, we do get the scenario where unhealthy pets that are just left on their own in their backyard and they're you know, mating and 
being unrestricted with what the, uh, the number of litters that they're producing, and that creates all sorts of problems. So hopefully this can have an effect of reducing, um, reducing the impact of that and making pets healthier, of course. And also, if people are aware of it, it also reduces uh, the number of um, animals that are being bred and the resulting kittens and puppies and so on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hi, Mark. How are you going? Good, thanks, David. Beautiful day out there. It is, it is. Now, what can we do for you? Well, you've been talking about breeding this morning, or a little bit about breeding, and I just, uh, we're yet to buy a, 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 a dog. Uh, we've had puppies, uh, we've had animals before, dogs before, a couple of Aussie terriers, but unfortunately they both passed away from cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we moved into a new house. Now, obviously, we you know looked at particular places uh, like the RSPCA and the council, and also in pet shops. I've seen a number of these breeds, like Labradoodles, etc., like these cross mixes. And I just you know just want to get your sort of impression on these uh, these breeds. It's an interesting phenomenon, isn't it? Isn't it that we're seeing the these breeds that are taking? Well, the idea is the the best of two breeds. Um, look, genetically, let's let's break it down to this first. They're a crossbred dog, and um, one of the things that happens with crossbred dogs is that you generally end up with the stronger genetic components from each dog coming through, and hopefully they're the healthier ones because uh, uh, healthy genes are stronger genes. Um, so, in other words, if you were, if you, were, if they were. As we're saying, if they were if it was a dog like a Labradoodle, whoever was, had the stronger gene in respect of the, uh, the, the the mating process, that would be what's shown through in the puppy itself. Well, in a way, yes, but it doesn't. It probably is more the mixture that you end up with a stronger, genetically stronger dog. But okay. now that's that's the genetics of it. But however, um, there is the result in your dog is maybe that it's not necessarily a stronger, healthier dog just because of the genetics because there's so many other factors that come into play. What actually happens, and I think where it started many, many years ago, was that uh, people were looking for dogs with certain characteristics but um, didn't want the hair problems that are associated with some breeds. And so they brought in, um, you know, poodle uh, um, part of the mating to try and change some of the hair coat, and that's why you get... Labradoodles and Cavoodles and Pagoodles and all these sort of different things. Um, but in essence, yes, it's a crossbreed dog. Uh, when I say about the genetically stronger part, it does also mean that you miss out on some of the things that a purebred dog would have. And um, so it's a little bit of a, not a Russian roulette, but you're throwing all the, gen- the DNA up in the air and just seeing where it lands. And you don't know also that when you select a puppy, and this is one of the problems that happens with breed selection and so on, is you, when you select dogs for breeding, they're often one or two years of age. Um, and if you look at purebred dogs, they're all sh- uh, shown in the show ring at a very young age. They all want to get their title at 12 months of age. But do- oftentimes dogs' problems may not appear until much later on. And so when they're older, then you go, oh, hang on, that health problem's appeared but we've already had six litters out of this dog. Yeah, okay, so sometimes, yes, you get the good, and sometimes you get the not so good. It is a little bit of a, a gamble, but um, they're a very popular um, to see these uh, mixed-type breeds, as you would notice if you look at the price tags. They're often a whole 
quite a bit more than what the purebred dog that goes into the mating, you know. In other, what... words, in other words, might I ask that uh, the last puppy that comes out of the litter in some of these crossbreeds might ne- not necessarily be as, um, how should I put it, as perfect as the first one that came out? Well, there's, it's just a bit of a gamble. And this is one of the things that we're... Uh, breeders in, in certain breeds would say, look, you know, with a, if you go with a purebred dog, you know what you're getting. And so you get the features of that breed that you want to select for. But they're very popular, and a lot of people, uh, you know, like these type of dogs, and I can see why, but just be aware that um, you don't always know what you're getting down the track. Thanks, David. No worries. Thanks for your time. All right. Pet Chat on 2NURFM, 49216216 is the number. We've got John from Greta with a question for you, David. John. Hello, John. Yes, hello. Hi. How can we help you? We're, we're contemplating buying a golden retriever pup and we're wondering whether there's an in, in any inherent problems with that breed. Um, now, there are, there are references that you can go to and check on this, so I'll try and cover some of the things. But um, we may not, you know, pick up everything. Golden Retriever is a wonderful dog, beautiful temperament. Um, as uh, these sort of retrieving active type dogs, they um, can be prone to um, hip dysplasia. But by and large, that's a much less occurrence than, say, a German Shepherd dog or a Rottweiler, uh, where we see hip dysplasia more commonly. So Retriever dogs... Um, they can get these bony orthopedic problems, but the occurrence of them is much lower. The um, uh, retrievers also get, um, just going back through my database in my brain, they can get eye problems. Um, and that, if you're buying a purebred dog, you should talk to the breeders about whether they've had eyes checked um, to make sure that they're not a carrier for some of the genetics, uh, some of the genes that... Um, code for these eye problems the other thing that i've seen and it's not so much you know something that you can avoid but um golden retrievers um do get a higher incidence of a type of cancer we call hemangiosarcoma Um, now there's a lot of dogs that get that it tends to occur much later in life Um, in some cases it's treatable but um, it's not something that you could you know look at a dog and say well we're going to pick that one over that one because this one's got a lower risk of hemangiosarcoma. I think it just is a feature of the breed. And there's other breeds that are along that uh, have the same sort of risk. But um, they're the sort of things. They're, they're a very hardy breed, and I think their temperament's fantastic. Um, I've done work with retrievers over many years and always found them a really friendly and happy dog. They do have, obviously, a longish coat that you have to look after. And as we were saying earlier, if you live in a tick area, which is anywhere along the coast then you need to be searching them quite frequently and um, because they're an energetic dog they tend to go and exercise and you take them for walks and stuff so um, you need to make sure that uh, you're checking them frequently and using a good tick preventative to make sure that they don't end up with tick poisoning but yeah i like them i think they're a great dog so hopefully that's uh, that's answered his question hope so all right thanks all right. john and uh, doug how can we help you today uh, g'day guys, um, I rang up a couple of months ago uh, in reference to my Labrador, uh, female Labrador who um, doesn't like curly coated um, dogs, either small or large. Oh yes, How's, how are we getting on? 
Pardon? How, how are things getting along now? Um, actually getting worse. Getting worse. Yeah. With curly dogs. Yeah. But, um, yeah, actually getting worse. Um, so what sort of things are happening? Well, she's now sort of, uh, she'll fixate on a, on a dog when I'm out walking. Uh, if some dogs uh, come up the front fence of their house uh, she, uh, and, you know, a little bit aggressive to her, she just, uh, she can pull me off, uh, off my feet trying to get to them. Yeah. Um, and it's now starting um, of any type of dog, really. She's even had a go at um, other Labradors. Okay, so it started off with a particular type of dog. Yep. And she was um, anxious and then aggressive, and now that's being extended to other dogs. Yeah, that's... Um, and she's... Um, I was, uh, another a question is, uh, females, can they have... Uh, a, a greater amount of male hormones or, or, or genes, I'm not sure, um, that, that sort of tip them towards a, a male side. She spots continually um, when we're out sort of walking around the bush or at the, at the beach. Okay, all right. So she's got a very, what you would say, a dominant personality? She's, uh, yes, she's becoming yes. more dominant, um, but she's, she's like a, um, a schoolyard bully. Um, yes. Someone uh, is another dog is fairly aggressive to her, or a fairly large dog. Um, she'll sort of um, do the um, "yep, yeah, don't hurt me" thing. Um, but um, she's if she gets into a fight, she's um, she won't back out. Yeah, sort of thing. Yeah, she's just turned four. Um, she desexed, is she, Doug? Pardon? Is she desexed? She's been. De- she was hardly here, guys. Sorry. sorry she, has she been desexed? Uh, yes, she's been when desexed she, when yep. she was younger. Yeah. Yep. Um, and uh, she's purebred. She's got really good lines. Of- um, oftentimes, with a friend of mine, uh, bought her sister. Right. Her sister's um, a little bit aggressive as well. As well. Yeah. Oftentimes, with um, female dogs, that um, if they are aggressive or showing that tendency. Um, at a younger age, and then when they're desexed, sometimes it actually increases that behaviour, and we're not really sure why. Possibly with the um, there's always a natural. You were asking right at the beginning about levels of testosterone and stuff. The body's able to produce these um, sex hormones from various organs, so it's not just from the sex organs; they can actually come from other areas. And so there's a baseline level of testosterone, the very very low level in females as there's a baseline, very, very low level of estrogen in males. So when the uh, female dog gets desexed, the um, source of the estrogen and so on is removed, the testosterone could then be slightly or relatively higher than it would otherwise be, and that may be one of the factors that's contributing to this behaviour. Having said that, there's a whole heap of other dynamics that are happening in terms of the, the... behaviour modification and what sort of responses that she's getting. It's been my experience that that can be a very difficult situation to improve because um, there's this underlying, it sounds like there's an underlying genetic um, issue there and uh, it takes a lot of work. But not that doesn't mean it can't be done. It's just a a fair bit more therapy. Now, some of those... A a, a Jekyll and Hyde type. Yeah, um, yeah. When she's with a group of dogs, we were at Horseshoe Beach this morning, 
and she's got a group of dogs that she she just gets on fine with. But I've got to keep a watch out. Um, if I see a curly-coated dog coming down the beach, um, oh, she's on the lead. Yeah, well, that's um, it. That's it. You've got to watch them very carefully. Yeah. The um, I was going to say that the important thing is that um, it can be improved, but sometimes it does require medication. That's one thing I was going to ask you about. Yeah, to, and the main purpose of that is we're not trying to sedate the dog. We're not trying to do anything like that. It's just to remove some of the anxieties yeah. and to allow training to be more effective. Yep. Okay, so those those medications are um, upon prescription from your veterinarian, yep. and they're always prescribed in conjunction with a training program. And I think you're getting to the point where, okay, the basic things aren't going to get us over the line. You're going to need some help. Yeah, well, the... I've had the, um, I've had, um, I think you, you know him, the uh, pet psychiatrist out. Right. Um, you, you guys refer to sometimes. I yep. I've had him on the show. Um, and he sort of taught me uh, a few things, which is, you know, that I didn't know. Um, but uh, is there, with the curly-coated thing or a shaggy type is there a certain uh, scent that those those type of animals um, or breeds put out? Well, there might have been in a in the history of your dog that way back when um, that there was some incident that was associated with a curly type dog, and it might be just more the visual thing. It might be a scent related thing, but if that was the case, you'd expect it to go into other types of dogs. So, yeah. you know, it may just be um, a, a memory of a bad experience. Yeah, she she tends to um, uh, think that, um, say, Horseshoe Beach is her property. Yeah. And, there's, uh, and this is her dominant personality showing. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I would strongly encourage you to, again, talk to your veterinarian or if you do talk to um, Dr. Robert Stabler yep. um, that uh, further training is needed and to help that along, it might be time for some medication, I think. Yeah. And medication for me. For you. <laughs> well, we can't help you there. You'll have to have to ring in on the health line another day. But, uh, but yeah, I think that'll really help things along. Okay. Well, thanks a lot. No worries. Thanks, Doug. Hello. Um, I've got a, a very bad problem with my dog's hair. Uh, I just wonder if you can help me with a good shampoo. Um, she's an 11-year-old. She's a Maltese. A mum was a Maltese Silky. A dad was a Maltese Poodle. She has long white hair, but it is so fine that it matters all the time. And I can brush her every couple of days. You know, every couple of days I brush her. I always use a good shampoo that I get from the vet. I've tried all different kinds. Yeah. But she just always she gets so tangled that it matters, and then I have to cut it out because I can't. Yes. I can't get it out, and I just want to know if you can put me on as a really good shampoo and conditioner or something. So, have you used a conditioner before? Pardon? Have you used a conditioner before? Uh, I have, I just, I've got one lately uh, yes. that I've used. Uh, I, I don't know where, I can't even think where my daughter got it from, but it had Dr. Harry on the, written on the front, so right. um, it was a brand that he's put East Hole anyway. But yep. it, it's, still, it's made it a little bit better, but still not enough. And I, I'm just, it's, it's really bad because she hates me brushing her now because I hurt her. Yes. I think that... Um from someone who's only got short hair, so I can't talk or and no daughters to speak of, so I can't um, can't provide much hair advice. Uh, but I, I think some of those dogs, it does come down to daily brushing yeah. with those really long coats. And if it is a problem like that, then certainly in summer, it's quite all right to go ahead and and get a clip yeah. quite short. Mm-hmm. 
and get get the coat clipped, and it'll grow back out, and um, it'll just make it a lot easier to look after. Yeah. Um, it's also a good idea then, you know, with warmer weather, and one suspects that we're going to have quite a oh, yeah. a warm summer. So that mightn't be such a bad idea to get it done at this time. September's probably about the right time of year to get the coat uh-huh. clipped. Um, but there are different types of brushes. You know, you can get those the slightly spiky ones, and there's ones that are bent. They're designed to actually take the um, thicker undercoat out, and you don't yeah. need that sort of brush uh-huh. on your dog. You just need a soft, um, you know, soft hair brush yeah. that um, you'll be able to brush it daily. And it should be quite gentle on the skin. It shouldn't really be causing any discomfort. No, she she really hates it. Yeah. And because and I try, I try as hard as I can, sort of to hold it near her skin and not pull. But it's just it's it's not any any longer than a normal um, uh, Maltese, but it's just so very very fine. You can like she, she's laying here beside me. If you look through her hair, you can see her skin. Yes. It's yeah. just so fine. There is um. There are, there are dog conditioning shampoos that you can get, mm. and that that would certainly be helpful. The other thing is to help um, hair growth and and skin health as well. Is you can get a supplement that you put in their food, which is yeah. called um, uh, Megaderm, and it's a combination of zinc and sulfur, vitamin A, vitamin E, uh, and that actually promotes uh, healthy, strong hair. Yeah, and that might be helpful as well. But certainly in an older dog. Their hair coat does thin out. There can be reasons, yeah. you know, disease reasons that their hair can be thinner or it could just be uh, that's the nature of her coat. Mm-hmm. But I, I've seen a lot of them good. get... Sorry? I feed her with good biscuits. I was giving her yep. Perina one for seniors. Yep. Uh, they don't make those anymore and she doesn't like the ones for adult dogs. Right. And now she's getting Optimum, which is a... And it's oh, yeah. Yeah. Everything in the supposed to help with the hair, so I do all that. That's yeah, no, no, they're so good. If you get some of this megaderm, you think it might help? Well, it should provide a, a nice, healthy, uh, make her skin healthy. That'll make her hair nice and healthy. It might strengthen it up a bit, and when you go to brush her and everything, she's going to be a lot more comfortable. Yeah. But I've seen a lot of um, Maltese type dogs that they do get clipped anyway of, of varying lengths. Yeah. And they do cope quite well. They look a little bit different. Because uh, their face takes on a more thinner terrier look um, yeah. once they're clipped, yeah. but it's a good way for them to get through summer. Yeah, well, I, I clip the knots out. Well, then she doesn't. She looks like she's always had a bad haircut. <laughs> <laughs> I'd recommend a professional. I don't like that. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. Look, I stopped. I stopped cutting my own hair for the own uh, for the same reasons. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so maybe just I just continue to brush some more and just get the you know keep going with a good conditioner. Yeah, and it's the paradox, isn't it? You've got to do it every day to prevent the yeah, yeah. the prevent yeah. the matting, and that mm. means it won't be sore. So just yeah. a quick brush with a really nice soft brush will actually uh-huh. help keep it uh, keep the hair separated. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you very much for your help. Oh, no worries. Thanks, thank thanks, Elaine. Actually, one very elegant dog. Let's see if we Lovely. can help Ken now. Hi, Ken. Yes, hello, uh, Dave. And Hi, Ken. How are you going? Fine, thanks. I, it just a, uh, I suppose it's a physiology question about dogs. Uh, the, their skin, is it an acid mantle on them? Or? Is it what, sorry? Is their skin like an acid mantle on the uh, body of the dog? An acid mantle? Yeah, you know, like is their skin... Uh, I'm interested in the preparation of the shampoo, whether right. the pH value of the shampoos. Oh, yes. Yep. With their skins like an acid mantle or an alkaline mantle on them or 
Um, good question. Now, there's a lot of... Um, uh, that dogs don't sweat, okay? So there's an oil um, layer that gets produced. So the, the only area they sweat through is the, the, uh, their pores. So whereas with people, for instance, when we sweat, we're losing electrolytes through the skin, um, with dogs, that's not happening. So they've got this constant oil coating. And I think probably um, when we look at pH, and it's not my area of expertise by any means, I think what happens with people compared to dogs is completely different, and that's one of the big features why. Because they're not producing the electrolytes and the, the water coming through the skin, and water is hydrogen and oxygen, and so there's an acid um, effect, if you like, as well as all the salts that they're losing. But um, certainly with this oil, it provides a coating, and I, I think you'll find most of the shampoos, if I'm thinking of everything that we've got in the hospital, the um, pH is reported as neutral. Um, they have a strong water base, and so I don't know that it's a big feature for dogs. It might be for people, but not for dogs. Yeah, I I, I only wondered, like, uh, because I thought, well, maybe if they they got an acid mantle, you'd probably best to use an acid type acid pH shampoo, but. Uh, the shampoo I use basically is uh, baking soda and uh, oatmeal, and it, it seems very good. But uh, so that would be more alkaline, though, wouldn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I think that um, well, it would until you apply water, because then it gets fizzy because it's releasing CO two, and the other side of the equation is it's releasing hydrogen, which um, is the acid. Yes. So Water that comes out the taps about seven point two. Right. Yeah. Slightly alkaline. Yeah. And I was only wondering whether the the shampoo would be better being an acid shampoo or an alkaline shampoo. It's only a question, basically. Yeah. No, I think you'd be better off. Most of the most of the dog shampoos take into account that they've got this sebum, which is the oil coating on them. And I don't think pH registers. The interesting thing is that when we put drugs on the skin, though, um, like, for instance, flea control and there's heartworm prevention and even worming products that you can actually just put on the skin, we do rely on the um, the relative difference between the acidity of the compound and the acidity of the drug to help it to go through the skin layers and get through that oil layer. But as a cleaning process, um, most of the ones that I see, particularly with dogs with sensitive skin, they're all uh, pH balanced, and the normal um, body is uh, is alkaline. In that um, we get rid of all our acid quite easily by breathing, and um, more more than likely the pH is of the blood is like seven point four. Uh, of the dog. Yeah. Yep. Seven point four. pH is seven point four. Yep. Well, if you go, go I, I give out our dog uh, that uh, sentinel spectrum. Mm-hmm. Now, does that change the pH? That would change the pH of the dog's blood, wouldn't it? No. It would. No. No. The impact of anything that you put on the skin like that is going no, to be it so. Go on the skin. It, 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 oh, sorry, the tablet. Yes. Yeah. It would have well, it have absolutely no impact at all on the no, dog's no. acid level. No. Yeah, I was just wondering, like dogs mostly eat meat, and that's that'd be acid forming in, into their blood system. So, yeah, uh, you say they they lose that by breathing it out. That's right. And the interesting thing is that the 
The biology of creatures like dogs and cats and people is taken thousands and thousands of years to adapt and, you know, millennia, and their, their body tolerates these normal um, processes and the normal, you know, oscillations of whether it's acid or whether it's electrolytes. The body has a way to deal with it. And so really things that we're doing like that aren't going to have any great um, effect on them whatsoever. So I think you'd be safe. Just stick with a pH-neutral shampoo. Pet Chat Radio, it's five to one. We've got uh, see if we can fit in two people in this uh, little block of time we've got left. Robert's been waiting very patiently. Hi, Robert. Hi, Graham. How are you? Not too bad. And David's on the line. Yeah. Hi, Robert. What can we do for you? Um, just I have, to, I have to confess a sin. We've got our little bloke on prednisone. My question is, is there anything that we should watch out for because you're concerned about Ad- Addison's disease? What signs is all? And don't, I know we don't want to be long because you've got another caller by the No, that's all right. Um, long-term listeners all know that prednisolone... Look, I'm, I love the drug in its places, mm-hmm. but um, just be aware of some of the side effects. Now, prednisolone is a cortisone, so the body produces cortisone. When you add in extra cortisone, what happens is it shuts down the part of the adrenal gland. Yeah. And uh, if you withdraw your prednisolone that you're giving abruptly... The body says, hang on, I can't produce cortisol quick enough, and then you get what's called a iatrogenic hypoadrenocorticism, which is right. Addison's disease. Right. So if ever you've got your pet on cortisol or prednisolone for any reason, you do need to make sure that it gets tapered when you're withdrawing the drug um, over a number of weeks. You just can't stop it cold turkey. The main things that we see with cortisol as an, as an extra drug adding into the body, prednisolone, is makes you drink more, well, we more and eat more, and you can right. p- put on weight easily. And um, sadly, I've also had the experience of inducing diabetes in dogs, and I've seen it induced in cats. Touchwood, I haven't done that to a cat, but I have right. to a dog. Right. Um, it does, it, and it's a real problem. So, uh, you know, it can, it can have these side effects. You do need to be careful using it for the, the condition that you're treating. You know, that's appropriate, but if can be, we'll try and withdraw the drug and maybe look for alternatives if you if you need to have... You need to continue. Yeah. And look, sometimes you just can't. Sometimes they've got to be on that drug, and that's doing the, the job that it needs to do. But just be aware of the side effects. Thanks. All right, then. Thank you again. All the best. Good on you. Thanks, Robert. And our final call for today is Sally. Hi, Sally. Hi, hello. Hi, Sally. What can we do for you? Hi, I've got three male peacocks. Right. And... They've had females with them, but I don't know, the foxes seem to get them. Oh, dear. Yep. Is it cruel just to have the three-male peacocks? Mm. I'm not much of a peacock uh, expert, I must admit. Right. Um, I guess it's really... Obviously, peacocks very territorial in terms of, you know, they're, they're flamboyant and colours and everything. So there's there's going to be some impact between the three of them. But I've often seen groups of male peacocks together and... Um, I guess they probably just flash their feathers at each other and they go their merry way. Right. What about, just very quickly, I've got a little silky and her mate had to be put down about 12 months ago. Um, I just find that I maybe need to get her a, a mate. How old's your dog? Oh, she's about 13. Right. And all, well, she, all she does is fly in the bed and sleep all day because she's got no one to play with. Well, first, to her. first of all, make sure that she's healthy. Yeah. Um... But I've often seen the case where people have gotten a younger dog, even a puppy, um, and with an, it, and it gives another lease of life to your older dog, and they, right. you know, they come out of themselves really well. So, okay. I, I would highly encourage it. I think 
if you're like me, then you know you've got to have pets in your life the whole time. And um, it sounds like you need to transition, but gee whiz, it can make a huge, um, bring a lot of joy to your older dog. Oh, great. I think it would be a good idea, but just make sure she's healthy first. Yes, um, she's yeah, Yeah. Okay. Thanks for your help. That's all right. Thanks very much, Sally. Bye. Bye-bye. Well, that's about all we have time for, unless we could take Jill's call very, very quickly. Jill, if you've got a question. Jill? Yes, I have. Hi, Jill. What can we do for you? Uh, I've got a, a very adorable Maltese Terrier. Yep. Australian Terrier. Yep. And um, I was sitting here thinking the other day, well, where, where does the uh, um, breed originate from? Oh, okay. Now, listen, what I'm going to do is we're going to get... I'll tell you what we'll do with that one. When Danny comes back from his holiday in Europe, he loves to talk to dog breeders, and we always ask where they come from. So we will um, we will follow that up when Danny's back from his holidays. We'll keep that in mind. You better be listening in a month or so. Thanks for that, Jill, and thanks, David, to nurfm.com. Catch you next week.